Ohio State when the lieutenant governor um, uh, in the beginning said something, he made uh, some stupid comment at the time, is deemed stupid, which is, you know, us older generation, us over 70, not us, not talking about me, I'm not there yet, me and Ron are, are the uh, younger generation. Um, so we, you know, we, sh we have to sacrifice, he was saying, the older generation has to sacrifice ourselves for the younger, um, for the younger generation. And he's ready to do that. That's what our, our, our glorious lieutenant governor stated. So people went crazy, rightfully so, obviously, stupid statement. But, so this, so it's like the given that God forbid um, to even bring up this topic, and especially within a halachic context. I saw, I was watching a share from this Rabbi Asher Weiss, who's been extremely outspoken about um, all issues on Corona, and he said, this is not the Jewish way. Jewish way of, is not, the economy is irrelevant to, when it comes to Pikuch Nefesh, um, there's no question everyone's life is equal, whether you're over 70, under 70, it's not the Jewish way. And that's what he stated unequivocally. He's probably a uh, probably 70 area. Um, so, but that being said, I don't, not that it's for me to disagree with him, but there are very clear sources in that we find in the Talmud and Responsum previous generations that it's not so simple. And again, I don't know what the right answer is, but I'm just going to present the very sources that I found um, and then we, we can argue about it, scream about it, and maybe try to figure it out. But I don't think there is a clear answer in this case, and I'm surely not one to, to state a clear answer. I just want to look, I'm looking up a good WhatsApp meme I got yesterday. Um, I'm just going to display it if I could see it on the camera. This was a. Uh, tell me if you can see it really. Man, did you see this one? You see it? Manny, you see it? Do you agree? Is Russ, you can you see it? Okay, everybody got it. So, so the question is, is that meme halachically correct? That's today's class. Are we, um, is that a halachically correct meme or not? Um, basically is the question for today. So, um, so we're going to begin. I'm going to share my screen because I do have sources. And then the, f the first thing, again, I want to make clear, I'm not saying there's no definitive answers today. We're just, not that any of our classes have definitive answers, but especially today I want to make a disclaimer because I don't know the answer yet. It's a re project um, um, still under research. Until we get funding for it, uh, we won't have an answer. Okay, let me see if I can share my screen here. So this is just some of the sources we're going to discuss. Everyone can see that on their computer. So the, so the first source um, is, um, of course, something that we mentioned in past classes, that clearly the concept of lockdown, of quarantine, is something that is very much, um, we see even in the Torah itself, starting from, as we mentioned in way back when, in our class from about Mitzrayim in Egypt first lockdown, and at least in the Jewish world, took place in Egypt um, on the night of Pesach, where Hashem said, don't leave your house um, um, because of the concern of getting hit with Makas Bechoros. We're not getting into the whole philosophy that God could he differentiate, could he not, but I'm saying the concept of lockdown very clearly exists, and the Gemara does quote it in the context of a pandemic, or um, um, seemingly in the Gemara Baba Kama, as we mentioned, it says, Tanur Rabbanan, 
beer. If there's a plague in the city, so it's not a pandemic; it's a epidemic. Knas um, it says, stay and draw inward, go inside. Shenemar, and he quotes this pasuk from Exodus about uh, about um, about the play about uh, Mitzrayim, Pesach. It says, "Vatem lo teitzuish Pesach Pesach Boker." Go inside and stay in stay in your house until the morning. Um, that was over there. Today it's a lot much longer, not just till the morning, obviously, now we're locked down. But the point is, the concept of a lockdown is very clear. The Torah does condone it in, the, in situations, and the Gemara discusses it in cases of pandemic. Our job during a pandemic is go inside, lock your door, stay at home, do not go to Minyan, do not uh, go out there. Um, this is what a Jew should be doing during pandemic, seemingly. The Gemara Babakama states. Okay, then we move on. Um, this other, this is another source. More recent times during the cholera um, pandemic, where Bikivega writes a letter. He says it's in my view, and this is some of this we discussed. Some of this already. I'm just giving this by way of introduction. In my view, it is true that gathering in a small place is inappropriate, but it is possible. He's talking about davening, um, which now obviously is a lot of talk of opening and, and grand reopenings of shuls, and some of, in Houston have already done that in a small out, outdoors in the parking lots, yes, with very, do, doing it very, I, I have not attended, just for the record, um, I personally am not ready to go back yet, I'm very happy staying home. Alan, yes, you have a question? Go ahead. Why isn't it better? So I believe, uh, I think maybe it is, but um, the, the, the the claim is, and this is, listen, if they're opening, uh, people are going out to do their, have their nails done and take haircuts, so, I mean, davening shouldn't be worse than having your nails done. So if you're, if you're that type who's going to have your, your nails done, so then probably you should be going to shul, if you're that foolish. But you're right, I agree with you, I'm not having my nails done and I'm not going to shul. So, uh, Uh, no, I, I think the shuls shouldn't be doing it by the person. They should be doing it based on medical advice, which they are. By the way, the shuls that I'm aware of that have been making minyanim in the last week in their parking lot all have spoken with Dr. Um, Septimus. He's their go-to guy in this case, and he has permitted it in those specific ways that they're doing, which is very safe. And everyone's wearing masks, they're behind, there's two car spaces, means you get, you have to come with your car, you, and then there's a space between your car and the next time, one parking space, and then you are, um, you are standing behind your car, so you're not even, not only is there more than six feet between you and the next person, there's a car between you and the next person. So in, the, in that case, the truth is it's probably impossible to catch it, almost. Unless after, after davening, you hug the guy or you, you share herring together and have a kiddush together. But otherwise, technically speaking, uh, I'm trying to move. I don't see everyone here. One second. Okay, now I see more people. Um, because the, the, the thing is on the screen, the source sheet, and now it became blue for some reason. Um, oops, just lost it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't see everyone at the same time, so I'm just giving you a warning. I don't know what just happened here. We lost it. Oh, man. That's so beautiful. So let's stop the share. Okay. Um, anyway, so, so, Alan, I do agree with you, but 
medically speaking, I think they're, they're doing it in a proper way. Um, I did hear that there is one shul that's starting indoors this Shabbos, which I think is a bad idea, honestly, but again, not... Okay, let me try to share the screen one more time. Zoom. Apologize here for the... Okay, let's try this again. Okay, so moving on. So Rabbi Kivager says here in the second, uh, second note number two on the sheet, um, he says, I'm just going to read the English to, to shorten time because we already did this. In my view, it is true that gathering in a small space is inappropriate. This again is written in 1831 from Rabbi Kivager in somewhere in, uh, I don't know exactly which country it was at the time. Um, Passable to praying groups, each one very small, about 15. They should begin with first light and then have an... By the way, Israel opened its shuls yesterday also, up to 50 people um, with masks, and they have to have a gabai who's just in charge of kicking people out who are not keeping to social distancing and wearing their masks. Each shul has to have a gabai, and, and, uh, but they have open shuls up to 50 people now. So um, and there's a whole list of rules. They should begin with first light and then have another group and each one should have a designated time to come pray here and there. The same for Mincha and they should be careful, this is again 1831, they should be careful um, that, be, uh, that people beyond the aforementioned quota not push their way into the synagogue, perhaps via a guard from the police to oversee this. He says you have to have guards, again similar, or a gabai, whatever you want to call them. Once they have reached the number, they should not allow others to enter until that group is finished. Set this request before the magistrate and that I have written this instruction for you. If they refuse, it would be good to arrange it with the local authorities. You will certainly succeed if you mention my name, that I have instructed you not to have large gatherings in the synagogue, in a small place. They have advised you of these arrangements and have cautioned you to recite till and pray for the king as well. May God protect him. Okay, whoever the king was in his place. Okay, so that's showing you the concept of lockdown did exist in very early on in the Talmud and the Talmud seems to be saying it's a good thing. Miki Vegar is also very much proponent of um, curtailing people's public prayer, etc. Okay, so that's the, the, the what we see in the sources as the pros. So the issue becomes the problem I have is I don't know how to scroll down here one second to get to the next source. Let me try here. Sorry. Um, I don't know how to use this uh, amazing technology because it's not working for me. One sec, one sec. Just trying to scroll down on the sheet and it's not allowing me. Here, here we go, one sec. Now I got it. Okay. That better? Can everyone see that? Okay. Okay, so we're number three here. So Rabbi Lezo Waldenberg. So this is comes to now a question of and these sources, which again I'm not sure which way they're going. I'm just showing you various uh, fasting sources that might be relevant to us, which is um, how do we view them? Because the, really the question here is you have individual lives, there's two ways to look at it, and I'm not sure which direction to come from, meaning you have societal lives, that you could look at it one way, is when we're having a lockdown, are we saving individuals or are we saving society as a whole? This is where I'm not sure, again, there's nothing written on this really, I'm not sure which way to go, how we view it. 
um, because the question becomes how do we view in halacha, and this is a fascinating question, how do we view society as a whole? Do we view society as made up of a bunch of individuals? So therefore, let's say we're saving the people, uh, let's say the people over 70, which they have 2%, uh, people over 60, have a 2% mortality rate, assuming they get COVID. So is that, and this, so we have to view as we're saving that society of people, older people, and we view them, do we view them as a bunch of individuals or as society as a whole? Um, let's say that group of people also viewed as individual. Because how do we, um, so to speak, assess the greater society versus individuals in society? So this is something that I'm struggling with, and how does Allah view that? It's a very important question, many different applications. Yeah. That's in Texas. Speak for your own community. That's Texas, not the rest of the country. Not in California. Yeah, but I'm saying not on the same level, I don't think. But that's a different question, meaning that people disregard rules. That's, that means maybe, in this case, with like Kirby Vega says, they need to be arrested. They need to, there's a, that's a different issue. That's not, we can't, you know, we're not talking about gun, you know, crazy gun people who are coming into the capital with their guns. The issue here is, as a society as a whole, how should we be viewing it? If people need to be arrested, that's a different issue. Once they're violating the rules. Again, the assumption is we're, we're, we're going to the rules. The question is what rules to establish society versus individual, or society versus smaller segments of society, which I'm not... So, so as far as people flaunting the rules, I do, that's something that has to be figured out. How to, what do we do in those cases? In Israel, they were arresting people who were flaunting the quarantine, initially. Shelly, I'm going to unmute you here. Oh, so you missed it. You went to change a diaper while well, we said we mentioned that maybe you were here, but the the we and rightfully so. Not you should go change the diaper, but uh, wear gloves. So, so I'm telling you, I'm telling you because the given and, and this is what I said before. The default in halach is saving lives is paramount, overrides anything else in the Torah, which is true. As we know, you don't violate, we violate any law of the Torah except the big three to save lives. So the economy to say that, you know, 70, that's, that, that uh, the economy is more important to people's lives is, is unheard of. That, that's the default. We're, I'm going to show you today that it's not as simple as they're making it, but the default is clearly the Jewish way is lives override everything, as we've been discussing for the last 22 years, whatever, however long we've been meeting. Right, so, so, so that's the default. That's number one. So no one's going to touch us with a 10-foot pole to go ahead and, and infer otherwise in, in a public setting. This is not, thank God our class is not so public, so we can uh, discuss it and, and debate it. And again, I don't know the answer. That's number one. To answer, Shelley, are you still there? You lost. Okay, the other thing is that, that again, the other problem, I think, from the halakhic perspective, which is the default, is that we don't look at quality of life. That means a 70-year-old worrying about, let's say we technically speaking, which is not really scientifically true, but let's say we're really only worried about people over 70. Um, and, and society at large is a much lower mortality rate, and therefore there's less to worry about opening up. But, and it's the people that are older that's going to be affected. So again, that is also 
against the conventional halachic wisdom because halachic wisdom says a 70 year old or a 90 year old's life is just equally as important to a, to a, to a 10 year old or a 20 year old so again you have that, that aspect that halachic principle which is ingrained in us and therefore there's no discussion about it. like there's nothing to talk about quality of life is irrelevant um, uh, any one life saving one life is saving the world that's the halachic dictum we've always been brought up on but I'm going to show you there are sources which seem to contradict that and again I don't know which is right so the fact that they're not discussing is understandable because I think any rabbi who would publicly state that maybe the economy is more important they, he lost his job on, uh, immediately he probably lost his job Oh, okay, so that so so again, it's not. I don't think there's. First of all, there's so many more pressing issues. I can just tell you, just to give an example. And I don't want to get off tangent, but I told you I have a, a nephew who's very involved. My sister's very involved in the in the plasma initiative, going um, you know with with the Mayo Clinic, etc. My nephew, um, in, he lives in actually Palo Alto. It's a rabbi in a colo there, and he was very involved in it. He actually got people from Stanford doctors on board to. He wrote an op-ed, which is supposedly going to be published in the in the in the Wall Street Journal, supposed to be this week. I don't know if they are publishing or not. And he got doctors to sign on uh, big infectious disease people in Stanford, etc. About this plasma initiative, meaning they have. He wants to push. Again, he's not a doctor. My nephew's in Colo and Palo Alto, but they're trying to push that basically nursing home, anyone in nursing homes who was exposed to uh, who so shows initial signs of COVID should automatically get the plasma um, antibodies, um, which again is clearly not. So he so he he wrote up this op-ed, and it was a, you know almost approved. I don't know if it's published yet. Long story short, he called me in a panic. He said, I realize that I'm, I'm pushing for this initiative in nursing homes, and halachically, I don't know if it's correct, because there's no scientific studies yet proving that, it's even, that it even works. Um, it's all experimental. Should we be doing this where there is somewhat of a risk to elderly patients? Getting the plasma has also a risk involved. So he called me in a panic. What do I do? So I put him in touch with Steinberg and with um, he called three, three people he's been discussing with. Um, and he got, of course, three different answers, as usual. He called uh, Rabbi Tatz. He spoke to, he emailed someone who's getting into Rabasha Weiss. He hasn't gotten a response yet. And uh, Dr. Steinberg, he emailed Dr. Steinberg, who wrote back to him. He should do it. He should push it. In nursing homes, the risk is too minimal. But in any case, just to, just to show you what's going on now in the halachic world, Rabasha Weiss, who's the primary, is the rabbi I mentioned before, who said that, of course, um, the Jewish way is economy should not play a role. Someone's making a lot of noise. Stop eating your breakfast, please. Um, so uh, mute yourself if you're if you're moving around. I don't know who it is. Alan, is that you? I'm going to mute you for now. Not Alan. Okay, I'm muting you again. I just muted you. Um, okay. So anyway, so the the. the the, I'll just show you an example. So my nephew called the, the person to get to this rabbi, Rabbi Shawais, in Israel. So he said, listen, I'm going to try to get him to respond as soon as possible, but there are at least a hundred other questions in the queue that he's working on right now that are probably more important than this one, meaning life and death questions. So just to show you what's going on in the halachic world currently, for rabbis who can't answer these questions, there's a 
there's literally a wait time because there's so much going on and many of the questions being dealt with are literally life and death. So this one, the plasma initiative was, he said, I mean, it sounds interesting, he sent them all the data, etc. But so, so, so the rabbis are not addressing currently is, is because I don't know if in the queue of questions it's not up there yet. Eventually it could be readdressed and I think looking back it might be addressed. Um, but right now no rabbi is going to say publicly that um, we should open up even at the expense of losing lives. I, I, I can't imagine anyone saying that currently. Um, but I want to move on, Shel, but I'll mute you quickly. It's a quick question. Okay, we're getting there. It's on the sheet. It's on the sheet. Relax. Patience. Patience. Maybe. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so... Uh, so um, so as far as how we view communities, uh, meaning meaning societies versus individuals, I mean, there's, there's two sources here that I found, um, but I do want to give some credit. Some of these sources I found are from a rabbi who I don't know, who in Toronto. His name is Rabbi Mordechai Turcino, lives in Toronto. So I just want to give him credit because I did steal some of sources um, relevant to, to a topic that he spoke about. So, okay, so he says, Rabbi Lezer Waldenberg in the Tzitzel Yezer, um, he says like this. Um, so this is really not so relevant. He's talking about, sorry, this source is not so relevant. Three. I'm going to move on to the next source. That's just as far as meaning do we have to pay as a society that gets into the whole question of healthcare in general. So I'm going to skip that for now. But the next source was a fascinating source that I think might be relevant. Again, I'm not sure where um, Zilberstein in his book, which is in Hebrew, and to try to translate it to the best of my ability. So he's discussing here a fascinating question, which probably for another class, and I think we even said so it's more of a triage question, but in a theoretical sense, the question he's discussing here is when you have a donor to a hospital who's giving, uh, you know, whatever, $10 million or $5 million or $1 million, which is nothing these days, what was the ideal to use that money for? Where should that money be spent in a hospital setting? Um, that's the question that was posed to the rabbi here. Say that defuse, it means uh, as far as, um, uh, I'm just reading you from the book here, um, a defuse means, uh, you know, me out of your run. Like, uh, who goes first? Not in a triage setting, but in a money setting. What's looking for the English word? But he says, as far as precedence, meaning which, when someone, a donor donates money, and we have budgets in the hospital, should, what should those budgets be being used for in the context of a hospital? Okay, and, and so he talks about, um, generally speaking, what the donor, can you use the donor, can you convince the donor to use it for this, use it for that, but he says a fascinating statement here that he asked this to his father, Rabbi Yasha, I believe it is, and he answered like this, I'm trying to find the statement, my bookmark fell out. Um, so he says, first of all, he, he's saying, one thing is, he starts off in this part of the response here, he says, that's all to what we spoke about till now. It's around five, six pages here. He says, what we spoke about till now was relevant to the donor. Should the, what should the donor donate it for? He says, but when it comes 
to, you know, if the donor is asking the question, what's best, where's my funds best used um, for medical care, to, do, to make a donation to a hospital? It's, but he says, as far as what's better for the hospital, what the hospital has to do with the money, which is a different question, can they, do they have to listen to the donor, they have to use it specifically with the donor, which is a whole different issue, but he says here, yeah, we're not getting into that, he says, um, I'm going to read it and translate, he says, Ach he says, I brought this question to my father-in-law, and he says, I'm not maker adin. I'm reading you. You have it here in four, just the, the punchline, but I'm going to read you the whole paragraph. He says, maker adin, as far as what the main din is concerned, Elaine um, Lahatz, I mean, the question was here, should they use it for, um, for the emergency room care, for an ICU, for NICU, or for a transplant unit? That was the question. They have a number of things they can use the money for. What should they use the money for? So he says, He says, the goal, halachically, the money, if you have a choice, to, you have $10 million, and which type of unit should I uh, spend the money with? He says, halachically, you have to use it in the place where you're going to save the most lives. That's what he says the halachic criteria would be. Um, to create a unit that will save the most lives. So if that unit is going to be emergency care, let's assume, which I have no idea, but he's, uh, as opposed to the tra transplant unit, unit he's going to explain, is you spend so much money, but you're only saving uh, a finite, a very small amount of lives for transplant. It's individuals, but each individual's life is saved. Costs, you know, whatever it is, $300,000, $500,000 in a transplant situation. As opposed to that $500,000 can save multiple lives in the emergency room or in a NICU, let's say. Is that, is that making sense to anyone? Because I'm just quoting him, but I don't know if these numbers are make sense. Anyone want to comment on that? Ron. Yeah, but he's talking about someone, again, the hospital received X amount of money, $5 million. Where should they spend in the hospital setting? He's talking about, you're right, um, you know, should we do inoculations in Africa? Maybe that would save more lives. You're right. Um, well, Ron, I'm not going to tell anyone you said that. But, uh, yeah. Okay, yes, when I haven't got that's true. So again, he's talking about the end result. We have to look at studies and see where will this money be the mo best spent as far as the numbers increasing, um, you know, life. That's what he. That's what I understand to be saying. Let's just finish the paragraph. So, so, so that's what the, Shelley. One second. Let's finish. Let's hear what he says first, because um, otherwise we're not gonna we're not gonna get through half even a quarter of what. Want to get to so, so he says like this. I'm just reading you again. So he says hey, we have the English there. I can just read the English in this case. It's translated. But by law, we must save the greatest number of ill people, and to invest financially in emergency care and a NICU, and not in a transplant unit. Because again, transplant unit is only going to save a very few number of lives for that amount of money. So you're going to save much less lives. Not that their lives are less important, but if I have this budget, I need to spend it in the the 
the uh, end result of the most lives saved. He says, but, he says a fascinating thing here, one can, and this is what I want to get to, one cannot close or fail to open a transplant unit. At the end of the day, he says, we need transplant units. Why? He says an unbelievable thing here, because communal needs are also considered life-saving. If the transplant unit would be closed, it would cause low morale and people would refuse to live there. So I don't know about the refuse to live there, but he's saying is, a real city, for a city to be a city or for a hospital to be a hospital, it has to have a transplant unit. And if you already have a transplant unit, you're going to say, sorry, we're cutting the budget and we're putting it into emergency care because emergency care will save more lives and we're going just with that strict halachic perspective of saving more lives. So he says, you know, the, first of all, people will not live in that community. Um, you know, this is not, you know, it's the, the definition of a true community is something that has all types of care available. So even though he's saying, of course, saving more lives is the goal, but at the end of the day, the, the community is also what he's saying is considered pikoch nefesh. It's an unbelievable statement he's making. Saving the, the morale of the community, this is why I'm, I'm bringing this quote here, is also considered pikoch nefesh. So maybe, what, according to just applying it in my world, again, which I'm not proposing this, I'm just saying maybe what he's saying is, it's almost the morale of a society at large of being on lockdown, which is, as we know, is not a, is a terrible morale in itself. And people getting depressed and whatever the effects, the side effects of the lockdown are. Even though at the end of the day, if we open up, there be more lives lost. But he's saying, but that's also pikuach nefesh. Morale of a community and society is also considered in some sense pikuach nefesh. I believe it's, uh, if I am understanding him correctly, I think that's what he's saying. Does anyone uh, agree or disagree with my statement? Um, okay, so I'm going to move on because everyone is muted. Um, so, so that's one thing which I just found fascinating, that, that, that paragraph there, which seems to be, again, be implying that the concept of a society's morale, as we're going to talk about, is, is, is very important also, and we can consider that because Nefesh, he says, therefore, if you already have a transplant unit, don't close it down because that would um, decrease the morale of the society, so to speak. And he said people would refuse to live there, which that I'm not sure. Um, people won't live in, I mean, the doctors maybe, transplant doctors won't move there, obviously, but that people won't move there because there's no available transplant. I don't know. That sounds a little far-fetched to me, but... Yes, true. True, but I'm saying, but I'm, I'm just bringing out the principle of it um, which is, he's saying, morale of society is pikuach nefesh also. Because if you have increased suicides, and that's the principle I'm, I'm, take, I'm extrapolating from. Good point, yes. Point well taken, we'll see. Shelly, you want to say something quickly? In between blowing bubbles. Okay, okay, you're harking under you. Go easy on the rabbis this morning. That's Ron's job, it's not your job. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I think in a certain sense, he's, uh, that's what I'm saying. The principle I'm extrapolating, and Ron's point, yeah, it's a very different case. Yes, it's a case of limited resources. But, um, and I'm not sure, by the way, we're not, Ron, I'm not sure we're not in a situation, our situation could be also 
placed in the context of limited resources. That's a different issue, but, but it's a valid point Ron's bringing up. But I'm, I'm just extrapolating the, the one issue, which is not always is it about the end result of number of lives saved. Sometimes there is an aspect of, of society at large, and we'll address that more. That's what I'm trying to bring out again. I'm not applying it in a practical way yet. Okay, now I've also found, this is an interesting thing in Rabbi Dr. Steinberg's uh, new volume. He also, um, I lost the page, but I could just read it from here actually, it's just there's nothing more there. He's going in this concept uh, and he mentions also a fascinating statement, which I think is worth um, reading. He says, the community and the collective, this is Dr. Steinberg in his Sefer Rufuah Kalacha, in Hebrew, I translated. Um, the community and the collective are not only a collection of individuals, but an independent entities. Okay, meaning we view what he's, I think what he's saying here is we view the Tzibor as it, the Tzibor is also an entity of its own nature and with its own rules and the community's collective needs, sometimes even at the expense of the, of the individual. So he's saying when we're looking at, usually we say every life is important, as we're saying. One, even one person's life is, is equally as important to, to many lives. We don't differentiate between numbers, quality, etc. What he's saying here is, but the community's needs are also in uh, okay. um, the uh, the community's needs. He's saying sometimes because we view the community as individual, so individual versus individual. And even though an individual is not nullified up to the community, still the community must make a special calculation of its own different circumstances. So again, the principle he seems to be saying here is sometimes the community is more important than the individual. And we're going to talk about that a little more from the Gemara. Meaning, so, so uh, and he bases this in his footnotes. He quotes a tshuva from the Hassan Sofer. Um, I printed out from HebrewBooks.org, but... Um, so it's a very long response, but he says such a thing. He calls the the um, a, again. I don't know exactly what the case was here. I looked it up last night. Let me just see if I can find it quickly. He calls the communal needs pikuach nefesh. The Chassam Sofer calls needs of the community. He defines it as pikuach nefesh, also as saving lives. Um, one second. Just to make sure I'm quoting it correctly. Chassam Sofer, by the way. The 1700s, and uh, he's talking about the spending of money here. Actually, the context here again is maybe resources and how much resources a community has to spend. And he says um, the concept of a community getting depressed from spending too much resources on something um, is again that is also considered pikuach nefesh. So just another uh, thing which, again, we, we have to sometimes view the community and sometimes sacrifice the individual based on that. Um, and, and, uh, that's, uh, and then we're going to discuss the Gemara that Shelley quoted, so I'm going to skip down for a second. Well, actually, it's not on this page, so let's finish this page and then I'll display the next page. But the next quote I'm going to quote here is from someone named Rabbi Shal Yisraeli. Um, this is 20th century Israel. He, I, think, I believe he was the first or second chief rabbi in Israel. Someone can look that up for us. Um, I believe, if I know my Zionist history correctly, I, but I'm not sure. Um, I believe he's one of the first chief rabbis in Israel. He says like this. He, he says um, he wants to learn out this concept extrapolated from the Torah itself. As we know, the Torah allows where Jews are not pacifists. Um, um, many Jews are, but the, the halachic Judaism is not pacifist. Torah is not pacifist. So, um, 
he, he, he says that the Torah allows for war. Now there's two types of war we find in the Torah. There's Mechemet Mitzvah, which is a, an obligatory war. And then there's something called Mechemet Rishus, which is a discretionary war. That means just for the sake of we need, we need uh, more land, we need more water, whatever it is. Not, we're, not, we're not talking about a self-defense war. That's Mechemet Mitzvah. But he says the Torah allows for war. Even a discretionary war where it's not for the sake of saving lives, quote-unquote, per se. We just need more land because we, 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 uh, we want, you know, they have uh, more gold or whatever the case is, that country. So we're going to capture that country for, for their gold mines or for their oil, oil wells. Okay, says Rishal Israeli, that's also permitted in the Torah in certain contexts. So he says, it appears to me that one may learn the basis for this, this, for this from discretionary war, which is for profit. It's only about money. Discretionary war is about getting more land, more water, which water, you can argue, is, is, not, uh, is not profit. That's saving lives, maybe. But let's assume for gold mines or for oil, oil wells, gas digging in the, in the ocean, okay, as Israel is doing now, which they're, 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 that could be very well lead to a war where Israel, as we know, is, is, um, is, it has many wells, gas wells in the Mediterranean, so which is for profit solely or to expand the control of Israelite reign or for the sake of the economy. And for this, one may endanger individuals, meaning when we go to war, clearly lives will be lost. Okay, and we're only doing it for economic reasons. Torah allows it. So this, at this, which people commonly say that war has a special legal status, so, so now, so what he's extrapolating is from the Torah allowing um, discretionary war for economic reasons, that in itself shows you that sometimes the economy of the society is greater than the individual's lives lost in wartime, which you're going to have soldiers' lives being lost in that discretionary war. Okay? So says, so says he. Now, one could argue, and as we discussed many times, war, of course, is different. War has different rules. It does, can you extrapolate from war to other, to other areas of Allah? So he, so he says, and this that people say, um, commonly say that war has special legal status, has no basis. He disagrees with that whole concept. He says, for, for why not learn from it? The Torah allows, again, in this case, is allowing losing of individual lives for the sake of the economy. And that's that which people say that war is special legal status because it is governed by the Sanhedrin is incorrect. Is the Sanhedrin empowered to permit biblical prohibitions? You know, if it's prohibited to sacrifice individual lives for money, for the greater economy of the the greater economy of of the society. So he says then how could the Sanhedrin allow war? He's saying yes, this war was only done by the Sanhedrin. Very nice. But we could still obviously Sanhedrin doesn't have a right to violate the Torah either. Right? Um, so one must say that the basis that anything related to the welfare of the community or removal of harm is called life, quote-unquote, life-saving. For anything involving the welfare of the community has some relationship to life-saving. Okay? So he's saying a very important principle here. Again, this is recently, I don't know if, if this is accepted as Allah grueling, but he seems to be in, extrapolating from the concept of discretionary war that the economy of the health of the economy of society as a whole could could allow us to sacrifice individual lives. Yes, Shelly, one second, let me unmute you. Go ahead. Yeah, but that's again an individual. That's your discretion on an individual basis. Here we're talking about us as a government or as a society sacrificing individuals for the sake of the greater economy. Very different question. But there is, you're, you're correct. We do see that you can endanger your life and there's a higher threshold of danger. That is true for the sake of Parnassa. That is true. And that's actually the chapter I just sent you. I don't know if you read it. 
That's what I discussed. Oh, well, you should. It's good, good reading. Yeah, on this topic. So, but the but the point is. So so you so it's that your analogy is not a good analogy in this case because here again here we're talking about not I might have a right personally and as someone mentioned before if I want to go down with a shul you want to be an idiot and make that choice and go down with a minion and and danger your life maybe you have a right to do maybe even there it's not so simple maybe you have a right only and it's only for Parnas again going to shul you wouldn't have a right clearly if going to shul or down with a minion is endangering your life or going to have your nails done is endangering your life. Of course it's prohibited, halachically speaking. You only have that discretion with saying when it's to make a living. Um, there's maybe a higher threshold of danger when it comes to Parnas. But it's not analogous to this case. Here we have a question of us as a society, can we make a decision um, for the sake of society and endangering individuals in that, or even whole other subsets of society? That's a different question. So your analogy, I, I don't agree with your analogy. Yeah. No, but he's saying even if it's not to live, it's just for economic reasons. Meaning, I don't need gas. I don't need gas wells. Israel doesn't has survived for for seventy years now without digging uh, for gas, without ex- extracting the gas in the Mediterranean. So you can make the argument. I mean, they don't need that. Yes, will it help the economy? Of course, it will. Hey, you're right. So again, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not talking with facts here. Just talking. Uh, you know, I don't know <laughs> scientific facts. I don't. I don't claim to know any scientific facts. Surely not the facts of you know about what starts wars and what's better. What just happened here? They lost everyone. One second, you muted Shelly. Shelly muted. Um, I don't know what happened there. I lost the screen. You still see me, but do you see the the response from the. I don't know. I lost. Let's get rid of that screen. Okay, now we do two, but let me see. No, no more speaking, Shell. One second. Try to get that page. Okay, so again, so that's the last. Uh, anyway, we have to go on to the next screen, so let me open the next one, see if that works. Okay, so now um, we don't have, we only have 10 minutes left. So I'm going to try to get through the material. Um, Okay, so now this is what Shelley was quoting originally, which I believe this might be the source, another source, and we've discussed this in the past, um, another source to, uh, to tell us about, um, it tells us about the concept of sometimes sacrificing the individual, another source we find in the Talmud, sacrificing an individual for the sake of, of the community. Okay, so this is a famous source. Um, we've discussed this, I believe, in past classes. Um, which is that um, the, it's a Gemara in Gittin, it's a Mishnah in Gittin, which says when it comes to kidnappings, um, the when, and this was very relevant for Gilad Shalit and many other cases, even what's going on now in Israel, as you know, there are three Israeli citizens and bodies, or two Israeli citizens and a bunch of soldiers' bodies in Gaza that Hamas is holding for negotiation, and, and Israel is negotiating with them to return citizens and, and the bodies, live people and dead people. So the Talmud says very clearly that when it comes to, to redeeming captives, 
says the Talmud, Ein podinus ashvui, we do not redeem captives. Yeser al more than their value. Okay, which what that means, it's very controversial. It's two opinions. It means a slave value, which um, maybe their arachin value, like uh, discussed in last week's parasha, the Chukosai, the Torah discusses the value. Each person has a value. They can donate their value to the temple. So how we ascertain a person's value, not for today's class, beyond uh, the scope of today's discussion. Um, but irrelevant, so it says you cannot redeem a person. And in a simple interpretation would mean the going rate. If you go down to Mexico, um, there's a going rate for uh, kidnappings. It's a part of the norm of society there. In many of these uh, many provinces in Mexico um, and then uh, people kidnap uh, you know people and then they you, you call the family eventually you send them an earlobe or a pinky and then you get the money you want so the question is Allah says you cannot redeem them um, for more than their value meaning you have to you shouldn't pay more than the going rate in the ransom says the Talmud why says the Mishnah okay because it's a, because and it's, it's the the question is what does that mean what does tikkun olam mean? But it says because of tikkun olam, it doesn't mean Bill Clinton's version of tikkun olam. Um, um, that's not what it means. It means that it doesn't mean save the whales. It means uh, that in this context of tikkun olam, as, we, as commonly used in today's jargon, um, tikkun olam here means for and the Gemara asks this question: What is this concept of tikkun olam? Is it mishum doicha de tibura because of um, where am I? One second. Because of uh, the burden on the community, and we'll explain what that means. Or It's because of the concept that if you pay money, more extravagant amounts of money to redeem captives, then eventually, not eventually, they'll just cause more terrorism. It's like the concept of not negotiating with terrorists, right? Um, that's really what it's about. The second, the second statement the Gemara is saying, what is Tikkun Olam? Either it's a burden on the community, which means we're concerned about the financial burden on the community, and therefore don't pay too much, because once the rates go up, the community won't be able to continue to raise so much money to redeem captives. Okay? Um, which is really what happened in Israel, by the way, without getting to the politics of it. The fact that we do negotiate with Hamas has both of these aspects. Um, used to, Israel used to have a policy of not negotiating with terrorists. Clearly they no longer do, and they do negotiate with terrorists. Officially that still is their policy, but we know they do negotiate with terrorists, and that, that just causes more kidnapping. So every time we get someone out, we got Gilad Shalit. So Hamas's whole goal is to get more captives. That would be one way of, doing, of understanding it. The Gemara is saying, yeah, that's why negotiating with terrorists is a bad idea. Or this, the first concept is so meaning even we're going to sacrifice the individual life, unfortunately, and it's very hard to say that, but we'll sacrifice a Jewish soldier's life. But there's the concept of, of, uh, of we can't negotiate with terrorists. It just increases more terrorism. Well, the first, and the first concept is an economic issue. That means if we, every time someone's kidnapped in Mexico, they're going to have to get up in shul and do a fundraiser and a GoFundMe page. So if people are going to be spending you know, weekly or monthly, thousands of dollars going towards redeeming captives. And, and that becomes a burden on society at large. We can't have our fundraising, all of our budget, going to redeeming captives. So, okay, so again here, you so what we bring out from this is the principle of that sometimes a, a, um, a community's collective needs of, uh, of uh, what's called docha de tzibura is is um, what the Talmud's calling here, and we translate it here, burden upon the community, economic burden, is a sufficient reason it would seem like to sacrifice this individual life of 
this kidnapped person. Okay, which is again a fascinating concept that you see life doesn't always override anything. By the way, Baruch Brody um, would bring, would quote this Mishnah in his opinion, and I don't agree with him necessarily, and maybe I'm not someone to disagree with him, but he would, Baruch Brody Al-Sham would use this as a reason to disconnect someone from a ventilator. He said the cost, the economic cost of keeping people on ventilators who, who are brain dead or, or even not brain today, not brain dead or whatever the case is, is just too high and it will, it, it will drain the, me, the medical, our medical community and therefore even though it might be you're killing them, technically by, by unplugging the, by, un, by pulling the plug, removing them from the ventilator, it might be murder, but he says you see here that murder might be allowed which to me is, is a ridiculous statement, and I've spoken to many other ethicists who disagree with him, but that was his opinion, um, that, that was Baruch Brody's opinion, using again this Mishnah as proof that sometimes we sacrifice the individual for the sake of the economy of the community at large. But, as all things in Halakha, it's, very, it's not so simple, because um, if you look, clearly uh, the, there there's a, seems to be a contradiction in, in this Gemara in Gitin, um, I'm just going to mention off him, we don't have much time, I'm just going to say very quickly, the Gemara, because I'm just going to say it outside, but Tosfus there does ask a question and a contradiction to another Gemara, and Tosfus answers, um, Tosfus' opinion is very clear, Rabbeinu Tom's opinion is that this is not talking about a case where they're going to kill the captain, talking about we're just going to hold him prisoner for many years, but there's no concern, that meaning Tosfus understands that we won't allow sacrificing little, an individual life um, if the person will be killed, of course we have to redeem him at any price. And this concept and this criteria that we only redeem him up to a certain amount, up to the going rate, is only if the person's life is not in danger. So it's clearly, it's not very clear again um, that this would be a valid source according to that. But like I said, it is brought, at least you see the principle according to some opinions, is sometimes we sacrifice the individual for the sake of the economic community. So I'm going to skip on down well, let's get we're actually going to number 17 here on the sheet. If I can somehow again um, scroll, see if I can do that. Wait a second. Scrolling on down to number 17 here on the sheet, which is another fascinating Gemara, oft quoted. Lost everyone here. Okay, can you see that number seventeen? So there's another Gemara in Nidarim, um, and there's a f- another famous Gemara. The Gemara says like this: um, It says we'll read in the English. If a spring is owned by a certain town, okay, so you have two villages on a mountain. It's a fascinating case, and you have one village up the top of the mountain, and the spring is on top of the mountain. It flows down the mountain, passes these two villages. Okay, so the spring is owned by a certain town. That means there, it's in their town, or let's say where it's above their town, where it's flowing down. And there's no choice between their life, and there is a choice, sorry, between their lives in access to the spring, meaning their water, and the lives of others. Okay, so meaning the, the town at the bottom of the mountain. So again, you have two towns. The first town needs, if they take all the water they need for drinking, the bottom town will not have any water. So that's like the case in the, in the, in the desert, they don't have to share their lives take precedence. They're drinking water, even though they're going to use up all the drinking water, they have every right to do that, because technically it's their spring, it hits their town first, so it's their spring. Um, their lives come before those of others. That's the concept of Chayach Your life takes precedence. 
let's say their animals, are, so again, there's enough drinking water for both cities, but it's about feeding the animals, water for our animals, so the same thing would apply. Their animals precede the animals of others, so my conveniences, maybe, if you call it that, or even, I don't know, it's a luxury, we'll see, is um, they also get precedence over the bottom town. Um, it's a choice of their laundry, so they need the water for laundry, and the bottom town also needs their laundries. Of course, their, my laundry takes precedence over your laundry. Okay? Um, but, says, let's say it's a choice between the lies of others, so the, so the bottom town needs drinking water, and the top village needs to do their laundry. Says the Gemara, the lies of others precede their laundry. Okay? So if it's just laundry, you want to have clean clothes, so of course you have to leave the water, says the first opinion, leave it and let the bottom village have drinking water and you can't do your laundry, tough luck, you'll have to walk around in dirty clothes. Rabbi Yossi says, he argues, no, their laundry precedes the lives of others. Okay, now, fascinating statement, Rabbi Yossi is basically saying, unbelievable statement, that I can do my laundry even if it's going to kill people in the, in the village on the bottom, they're not going to have drinking water. It's, a, it's an unbelievable statement, Rabbi Yossi says. Now, it's an it's a minority opinion. I don't think we rule like Kibbutzi. But again, at least as Shelley was saying, we he entertains this concept that um, laundry, my convenience per se of wearing uh, clean clothing, will come before the lives of those other people. It's my water. I don't have to give up my my rights or my you know my my clean clothing in order to save other people's lives. That's part of life. Part of life is we wear clean clothes. Now you have to put it also in the context now, this is really the next statement here, the Gemara says, context of those days, is it wasn't like today where you had, uh, you know, a walk-in closet of three, th you know, 20 Armani suits that are worth each $2,000 and, and uh, it takes you a half hour to decide what to wear in the morning. That's by the way why I wear white shirts. I only have white shirts. It just saves a lot of time. I've calculated over my years. I never have to make a choice in the morning. I only wear white shirts and, and it saves hours upon hours of that I can study Torah um, and not making choices, right? Ron is the same thing. He wears only scrubs. One second, Shah, it's not enough time. We'll, we'll, so we're out of time already, but I'll, I'll, after I finish my point, I'll, well, you can talk. Um, so the bottom line is, so, so right, so, so the context then, and my father, and that's so, we don't have to go back to the times of the Talmud. My father, who actually came from a very wealthy family in Poland, um, told me they had one pair of pants and one shirt for weekdays and another pair of pants for, for Shabbos and uh, another pair of pants and shirt and Friday you go down to the river bathe and change their change their clothing there was no such thing as why you washed your weekday clothing on Friday that was it and of course there was much infestation probably in their clothing um, and this was not so long ago this was uh, before the war in Poland. So, so we don't realize, obviously, times have changed immensely. But this is a real thing. So Rabiosi is saying that lack of laundry also involves pain. Um, doesn't the entire body for drinking continues there certainly involve pain? Yes, but laundry, so was, obviously, so what do you say? So he's going to have pain of not wearing clean clothing? Says so Rabiosi, yes, but laundry is greater for Rabiosi. For Shmuel said, a dirty head leads to blindness. I'm not sure medically how that happens, but it could be, uh, could possibly be. Dirty clothes lead to depression, a dirty body leads to boils and sores. So he's throwing a little medical aspect there in, in having clean clothes. Maybe, again, in those contexts of those days, because clean, again, if you only wore, and my father was rich and only had two pairs of clothing, so I can imagine what other people had. So it could lead to uh, medical issues, but obviously it's not the same as drinking water. But still, again, you see, according to Biosi, a very clear concept that 
a person's normal function of society could override other other people's lives, even even other societies. Forget about individual lives. In the Gemara Nadarim, you see, an individual prisoner was kidnapped. So sometimes the economy, uh, meaning the doch the sibura, the that we're gonna have to spend so much money, it could override the individual. Here, it's about a whole other society. There's another village down the mountain that could die because they don't have drinking water. Okay, and we still, according to Abiyosi at least, again, uh, which we don't rule like Abiyosi, and that's the next quote that I found from a, um, another rabbi, who maybe he was the chief rabbi, I don't remember. He says, even though dirty clothes can trigger depression, still this is not at all an imminent danger, and is not even considered potential danger, but something which could evolve into danger. And therefore, he says very clearly that, um, that, uh, that you wouldn't, we don't rule like Abiyosi. Okay, in this case. So, but just again, I'm just showing you the, I'm presenting you the information here where it's not so unheard of within the Talmud and within Allahic sources that sometimes individual lives or even societal lives might be sacrificed based on economic concerns or depression, emotional concerns. Again, um, as we mentioned, which as we know, emotion in Halacha, emotional illness is almost tantamount to physical illness. So if people are going to have emotional breakdowns by staying in their homes or, or, or getting depressed and anxiety, all these things, that could very well be also taken into account. So besides the economic concerns. So 